You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network and currently sponsored by our good friends over at Pro Prep. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and this is our weekend review podcast where we'll be looking back a little bit more on Arsenal's defeat against Manchester City plus Stuart Atwell. And uh, we'll be looking back at some of the other action, uh, the action particularly of concern to Arsenal from within the Premier League this weekend. So we'll be doing all of that on this episode. And don't forget, our transfer show is now daily throughout the month of January. We'll be back at 5pm live UK time here on the YouTube channel. And of course, the episode will be available in audio format shortly after that. So lots and lots of content coming your way throughout the month of January. We're not going to talk about transfers on this episode because we are, as I say, going to be focusing on the Premier League action. But if transfers is what you're after, then do come and join me a little bit later on for our daily transfer show. So plenty to get through, plenty to discuss after another busy weekend of Premier League action. A big hello to all of those of you joining us live in the chat box at the moment and to those of you who will be watching or listening to this back a little bit on uh, later on. Let's start, of course, with Arsenal-Manchester City. And we talked about the game at length in the last couple of episodes, of course. Um, it, it was a game that left a really sour taste in the mouth of Arsenal fans because of the way it all unfolded, because of the way it all panned out. I think many of us felt that Arsenal um, gave a brilliant account of themselves. I think neutrals uh, felt that Arsenal gave a brilliant account of themselves. And that's not always the case with the Gunners. I always feel like people outside of, of the kind of Arsenal family are quite quick to jump on Arsenal when things don't go right. And I actually expected, even though I didn't think that that would have been fair, I actually expected a lot of the pundits and a lot of the analysis to come out after the game to be around the fact that Granit Xhaka let Arsenal down, that Gabriel let Arsenal down in his actions. And actually, I was pleasantly surprised that most people recognised and acknowledged how good Arsenal were, gave them the praise um, off of the back of that and pointed to the injustice and the lack of consistency applied around the VAR and the impact that that subsequently had on the game. So I was quite pleased, as I say, with the reaction um, of the kind of outside world in general uh, with regards to that defeat. And look, although I'm still upset about it, I'm still frustrated about it. A few days have passed and obviously that kind of um, that anger subsides a little bit. And then, as I said in the post-match podcast, you get the opportunity, don't you, to look at things with a bit of a calmer head. And, uh, and as I said at the time, you then get to the point now where you look back on that game and you only want to take the positives from it. The negatives are what they are and you push them to one side and you move on. But the positives were certainly there. There was a, uh, so many of them to take away from that performance. And I think we have to be quite proud and quite pleased uh, with what we saw from Arsenal on that day. So as I say, lots to be positive about. And while I still feel quite shit about it, it's nowhere near as bad as I felt um, on Saturday after the game, on Sunday, even on Monday. I, I think, as I say, anger tends to subside a little bit and it, it turns into more disappointment, which is, is easier to live with, I think, than anger 
and rage. Uh, so it is what it is. But look, we talked about the individual performances on the post-match podcast, so I'm not going to go over old ground. But the fact that Arsenal managed to turn in a performance of that quality and of that standard, uh, despite losing the game, makes the defeat a lot easier to take in, in the sense of now. You know, the fact that we are a few days down the line. On Saturday, I was beside myself. I couldn't take it. I was frustrated. I was angry. Now, I'm still frustrated. I'm still angry. But as I say, a lot of that feeling has subsided at least a little bit. And now I can look at the positives and the positives outweigh the negatives. Look, maybe we got a maybe we get a draw against Manchester City and it finishes 1-1 and we've got another point on the board. But that performance in itself, the individual performances of some of those players coming up against probably the best team in Europe gives me enough encouragement. I would say it's probably, at least to me, as valuable, if not more valuable than one point. Now, I don't know that that, that point is not that we lost out on in the end with that last minute equaliser is not going to come and bite us in the ass later on in the season. But as I say, I think there's a lot of encouragement um, to be taken from that game. And the great thing is that we've played Manchester City twice now. We've been to Old Trafford. We've been to Anfield. We've played Chelsea once. And, you know, you look at those fixtures and you say, well, the majority of the really difficult ones, we've got them out of the way. You you feel like this team now, even after disappointments have shown in the last few months that they can bounce back from them, which again is massively encouraging. I've talked time and time again about the fact that for me, it's not about losing games every now and then. You know, you will do that. We're not a perfect side. No team is perfect. Teams will lose games of football. What's important is the fact that you prevent those dips turning into rots. I keep saying that. I keep using that phrase because I think it's so, so important. And one of the big encouragements, aside from the fact that we're scoring more goals now, aside from the fact that we're much more attractive in terms of the way we're playing football, is that we seem to be able to move on past some of these disappointments and frustrations a lot quicker than we have done in years gone by. If you think back to the start of last season, we went on a dreadful run. And although we managed to put it right, sort of in the second half of the season, or, or go some way to putting it right, we could never recover from the position we were in. And it was almost going to be nigh on impossible to get back into Europe because of those issues and the first half of the season. And it wasn't because we lost to Wolves. It wasn't because we lost to Burnley. It wasn't because we lost to Leicester in isolation. It was because of that run, that really disappointing run that just seemed to go on and on and on. And a lot of people went into the Man City game with the expectation, as Steve says, um, of just hoping that we'd give them a game. He says that we exceeded those expectations by a country mile. That's absolutely right. That's exactly how I feel. Although it's difficult to process that at the point at which you've just been beaten and at the point at which you feel a massive injustice against your side. So in my opinion, um, you know, we, there are a lot more positives than negatives to take from that game. And I now feel more confident in Arsenal bouncing back from what happened against Manchester City than I would have done six months ago. A lot of people have kind of, I think, you know, people who were maybe Mikel Arteta sceptics have turned around off the back of that performance and gone, hold on a minute, we've we've got something here. We're moving in the right direction. And I would argue that while that's fair, I think this progress, if you like, has been evident for a while. It's been evident for a lot longer than people want to give Mikel Arteta and the team credit for. If you think about 2021, and I know we brought this statistic up last, last week, 
Only Liverpool took more points in the Premier League than Arsenal over that period of time. So it does show that the progress has been there, not just in the last three weeks, not just in the last three months, but it has overall. And yes, there have been dips within that, but it has overall been there from the start of 2021. And so to be in this position now is obviously encouraging because we've been able to maintain that to a degree. And we're in a position where we're challenging for the top four, which is all I think anybody could have asked for this season. Uh, and, you know, for me, you've you got to be pleased and you've got to be positive and you've got to really feel bought into this team and this project, if you like. And again, I know people hate using that term, but ultimately that is what it is. So um, we proved that we can compete with Manchester City within a 90 minute period. And that for me was was a big step. The next step is turning those performances into results. Sometimes that'll be taken out of your control, um, you know, as we saw at the weekend. But, you know, it, it's it's still a sign and an indication that we're moving in the right direction. Chris Carrick says, everything you say is true, Harry, but doesn't it all come down to the North London derby? Well, the North London derby is obviously a game of huge significance. Wherever Arsenal and Tottenham are in the table, it's a game of huge significance. It's a game of pride. It's a game of passion. It's a, a North London derby. It, the title gives it away. Yes, it, it means a lot. But again, I'll be looking deeper than just what the outcome is. And I think that's where in the past, maybe we've been as a fan base in general, overreactionary and reacted in, in crazy ways to one-off results. You know, I think if Arsenal go to White Hart Lane and get beat, is that beyond the realms of possibility? Is that a disgrace? Well, no, it's not because Tottenham Hotspur are a team that are on the up at the moment, are a team that are progressing under Antonio Conte, and we're going to come on to talk about them in a little bit. You know, it's, it's an away trip against your biggest rivals. I, I don't think, I never, ever in my life thought that going to White Hart Lane was an easy game. So why would my opinion on that change now? It doesn't. I still think it's a difficult fixture. If you come out of it and win, fantastic. If you get a draw, I'd say that's pretty respectable. If you go and, and you lose because, you know, something out of your control, it's very hard to beat the team for that. It's very hard to go in on the team for that. Like the game against Manchester City, I felt that factors outside of our control are what ultimately contributed to the result. And therefore, it would be completely unfair of me to have come home that day and really stuck the knife in on certain players and certain individuals when trying to kind of get to the reason and the crux of why we lost. Equally, if we go to Spurs and don't put in a performance and don't show the commitment that is required, then of course, that is a big problem. But I tell you what, if, if Arsenal can go there and play the way they've been playing in recent weeks, there is no reason that we can't go and get something from White Hart Lane. There is no reason why we shouldn't feel quietly confident about the fact that, you know, we could take something for this game. But football games, particularly in this Premier League, are decided by such fine margins. And therefore, it's 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 almost nonchalant and naive and arrogant to say, well, no, we have to go to Spurs and win. You know, it, it's not an easy fixture. I'm looking for the performance again, first and foremost, and hopefully we can get the result out of it because you look at teams like Manchester United, for example, okay? You look at, you know, the game yesterday, and we'll come on to talk about that in a little bit more detail in a bit, but there was a period in the second half where Manchester United looked as though they were going to find the breakthrough at 0-0 and probably win the game 1-0. 
would that have told the full story though? Would that have addressed and highlighted all the issues that Manchester United have? Or would a one goal sort of win there, a goal from Cristiano Ronaldo or something, have papered over loads of cracks? Yeah, it would have. And the performance, I think in Man United's case, just like it was our case a a few weeks back, was the bigger concern than the actual result that can sway so easily and so quickly. Um, So, yeah, let's move on to talk about some of those results elsewhere in the Premier League, particularly those that obviously have an impact on Arsenal and our aspirations uh, for finishing within the European places. Let's start with the games on Saturday. Obviously, we've talked about the Arsenal game. And if you want more in-depth reaction uh, and analysis on that one, then please do check out the post-match podcast uh, that was recorded on Saturday evening. But let's start with the game between Crystal Palace and West Ham. Now, that one finished 3-2 to West Ham United. And this was a game that I was... um, I was commentating on. So it's a game I watched really closely. And obviously the last time I probably watched West Ham really closely, a side that many people feel are in with a shout of, um, of uh, you know, getting into the top four, I wasn't impressed. I watched them against Arsenal. And I thought Arsenal were very, very good that day, but I didn't think West Ham did enough to impose themselves. And I thought they kind of, in a lot of ways, played into our hands that day. I thought against Crystal Palace, it was a victory and a scoreline that never really told the story of the game. Now, one of the things that people have talked about time and time again with regards to Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace is that they play really well. They play really good football. They, unfortunately for him, don't always get the results that that probably justifies. Um, So West Ham United, for me, were second best from minute one to minute 90 in that game. They really were. And as I say, I was commentating on the game, so I was paying particular attention to it. Um, West Ham United didn't start the game well. Crystal Palace started the game on the front foot, hit the post through Jeffrey Schlipp early on and looked as though they should have taken the lead. And then were hit by a bit of a sucker punch. The Mikel Antonio goal, Ben Rama's ball into the box. He turned it in from close range. The second goal, um, you know, was a breakaway that West Ham have got tons of credit for. Declan Rice has got tons of credit for the assist in the lead up to that. When I think in in all fairness, all he does is drive into an empty space, as you'd expect any good central midfielder to do and squares the ball to, um, to Lanzini, who takes a couple of brilliant touches and puts the ball in the back of the net. And then, of course, the penalty, which I don't know, I think was a little bit soft, put West Ham in a position at half-time where I don't think they could believe their luck. As I say, I don't think they played particularly well. I don't think they were that good. And I think they were second best to Crystal Palace for large periods. But somehow went in at the break, three goals to the good. Yet in the second half, failed to respond completely. They they have been talked about as a really pragmatic and professional side in the way that they go about their defensive business. Actually, I thought they showed the opposite. I thought they looked really naive against Crystal Palace in that second half. I thought they looked really soft-centred. And but for some better finishing you know, Crystal Palace could have found their way back into the game and actually so nearly did. So West Ham, for me, although they are a side, of course, in the mix for the top four and in the European places, are still at the bottom of the list when I look at it. You know, I look at it as Arsenal, Manchester United and Tottenham vying for fourth and fifth and sixth. Um, You know, and West Ham obviously come into that as well. So that's four teams for three positions. But I think that West Ham would be at the bottom of that list for me, not based solely on results, but 
based on the fact that I don't think a lot of these performances that we're seeing from them, particularly of late, and remember they'd come into a, a, a sort of the, the Christmas period on a questionable run of form. I think West Ham, for me, are looking a little bit fallible and looking as though what they're doing, which has been great and they are punching above their weight at present, but it doesn't feel like this is sustainable for me with West Ham. And that's why I put them at the bottom of the pile when it comes to those, you know, the competition for those European places. And I'm talking about Arsenal, United, Spurs and West Ham as a four. I feel like West Ham are at the bottom of that list at present. Then, of course, we had the game at three o'clock between Watford and Spurs. And I was looking at this one thinking, man, if Spurs drop points here, given that we've just dropped points and Manchester United have a tricky game coming up on Monday against a very good Wolverhampton Wanderers side. When it got to the latter stages, I was I was hoping that Watford were going to be able to hold on. They couldn't. But, you know, Tottenham are a side who are picking up results under Antonio Conte. And again, I'm not saying that they're not playing well. I'm not saying that they don't deserve credit for the kind of resilience they've shown. They feel to me like a team that are going through a bit of a manager bounce. There have been great performances under Antonio Conte since he's taken over, but there have also been some questionable ones, which stresses to me that Tottenham still have that inconsistency within them, as do all of our clubs in that area of the pitch. And that's why none of us are nailed on for the top four. But I just feel like with Tottenham, the fact that they've been able to pick up results during this period and now have the January window in which you'd imagine they're going to be looking to strengthen, that doesn't bode well for me. And it adds greater significance to the North London derby now. Is it a must-win fixture? For me, it's not at this point, but it is a must-not-lose. And I think there's a big difference there. I think it's one of those where you get to a point where if you get to a point and you see that, you know, the game is is petering out into a draw, both teams are trying to keep it tight. I'm not sure it's one you should be taking risks in and trying to be gung-ho in to try and nick a couple of extra points if that means you're going to leave the back door open. As I say, for me, and we'll come on to talk about this closer to the time when we do our preview show, the North London derby is more must not lose than it is must win at this stage. And that is because we have the points on the board and we are the team currently sitting in fourth place. And as we saw with Manchester United, which is a nice segue onto that game, you know, people have been talking about games in hand, games in hand, games in hand. And I've repeatedly said, sometimes you prefer to have the points on the board. And you can see that because you need to go out and win those games in hand, right? It's all good having them on paper until they're played and and banking on them almost to be three pointers. But if you don't then go out on the pitch and execute that and, and achieve that, then all of a sudden it doesn't look so great. You're looking at Manchester United yesterday as a team, again, who looked as though they're completely lacking in ideas, lacking in cohesion. Um, the substitution of Mason Greenwood really kind of riled a lot of the fans inside Old Trafford yesterday who reacted, I thought, quite angrily and uh, and in a disappointed fashion to, to Ralph Ranić's decision there. I just look at what Ralph Ranić's doing, and I'm not even saying that he's a bad manager, but I just, I don't really see it. You know, we have, I was having this debate on Twitter yesterday um, with a few of the guys over at TalkSport, Kevin Hatchard, um, Hugh Woosencroft, and I think Alex Crook was in the debate as well, um, at Toby Gillis as well. And we were talking about what is Ralph Rangnick's remit at Manchester United? What is Ralph Rangnick supposed to be doing um, with Manchester United at this moment in time? Should he be trying to embed a new way of playing and a new philosophy that will stand him in good stead in the long run? Or should Ralph Rangnick be trying to just get the best in the maximum right now out of what he has at his disposal, even if that means backing down on a few of his principles. 
And I think that it's the latter. I think the clue is in his title. He's an interim boss. And Ralph Ranić should be doing whatever it is that gives Manchester United the greatest chance of finishing in the top four this season. Because a finish outside of the top four, given that some people were calling them title contenders at the start of the season, would be a disastrous campaign. So United need to be in the top four. And I feel like Ranić is going about this as though he is there for the long haul, for the long term. And based on what we know, he isn't. You know, maybe he's looking to earn that job in the long run. But it is... Is he sacrificing results at the moment for this kind of obsession with playing in a certain way? If so, then that's not going to stand United in good stead. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I think that United were outplayed for large periods. I heard a lot of people um, on social media accusing Wolves of being sort of, you know, bus parkers as in the, the kind of team that, you know, sit back and, and just try and soak up pressure. Actually, they managed 19 attempts at goal at Old Trafford yesterday, which is no mean feat. You know, it shows that they are really sort of um, continuing to grow under Bruno Large. They're improving all the time. They're playing attractive football. Sometimes they lack that uh, cutting edge. Sometimes they lack that finishing touch. Agreed. But I really have enjoyed Wolves every time I've watched them this season. And I think they deserve a lot of praise. They were the better side yesterday and certainly deserved their victory. And I'm glad that Jean Moutinho managed to find the back of the net. And again, that's a great result for Arsenal, isn't it? Um, you know, the anger is there from the United fans. But I find it a little bit rich when they were talking about Ralph Ranić a few weeks, in a matter of weeks ago, as the second coming, as the right guy, as the guy that was going to build this new Manchester United dis dynasty. And now they're talking about him as being the wrong guy. So just goes to show that you shouldn't jump to conclusions in football. And sometimes patience is, is necessary to, to concede a goal late on and get beaten by a Wolves side after Man United missed their fair share of chances as well. is just the nature of this league. It is a really difficult and competitive league. And that's why I say whether it's Arsenal, whether it's Liverpool, whether it's Man City, whether it's Chelsea, whether it's Tottenham, overreacting to individual results is, is, is not the way forward. You don't do your own mental health any good. But United dropping points, obviously massive for Arsenal. That game, of course, took place uh, on Monday night. So last night at the time of recording. Other notable results from the Premier League uh, this weekend. Obviously, the thriller between Chelsea and Liverpool. I must admit, the way that game started, I thought that Liverpool were just going to completely tear Chelsea apart. The Romelu Lukaku story, obviously making headlines ahead of the game. Thomas Tuchel being questioned about it. We do know now that those talks between Tuchel and Lukaku have, have, have happened. And we know that Chelsea and Lukaku have no intention of parting ways, not this month, not in the summer either, according to the reports coming out off the back of those discussions. Thomas Tuchel was right to act on it. He was right to punish the player for that particular incident, an unauthorised interview in which I thought some of his comments were a little bit, I don't want to say nonsensical, because if that's how he feels, that's how he feels. But I think they were a little bit unnecessary. It felt like he was flirting too much with Inter. Is it because he was doing it with an Italian TV station? I don't know. But solely based on the fact that the interview was unauthorised by Chelsea, I think they were right to punish him. Add to that all the noise, as Thomas Sugel said, that come out off the back of that, that interview and all the kind of shitstorm it created. I can understand why Chelsea and Tuchel were upset and wanted to um, wanted to take action. Hopefully, from a, well, no, not hopefully, because I'm an Arsenal man, but if you're a Chelsea fan, I think you'd be 
although a lot of them have expressed a lot of outrage towards Romelu Lukaku, I think a lot of them will look at that team right now and say, you know what, we, we're we not really playing at the top of our game and to almost banish Romelu Lukaku at the first sign of trouble, at the first sign of a disciplinary breach would be wrong. Um, therefore, they'll be hoping that they can move on from this. And I think they probably can and will. And I think that'll be imperative to Chelsea if they're going to nail down a place um, in in the top four and, and look to close the gap on Manchester City. So I don't agree with what Romelu Lukaku did, but I do think in football at times, you can play the hardline manager um, as, uh, of course, uh, you know, we've seen Mikel Arteta do at times, but you need to know when to, to draw the line, when to either stop the disciplinary action, when to understand that the players learned his lesson and then embed him back in a team like Mikel has done with Aubameyang in the past. But there will come a breaking point like Arteta's reached now with Aubameyang where you can't continue with this anymore, regardless of what they're being paid, regardless of what they cost. So I think Chelsea... It's going to be, like I said, with the Aubameyang situation at the time all that stuff broke, it's really important that Chelsea try and draw a line under it as quickly as possible because without Romelu Lukaku, they don't have a recognised centre forward. And it's been clear in recent weeks that some of the players that have played in the full-time role or have deputised in and around him are not capable of producing the numbers with enough regularity to sustain a title challenge. So I think we'll see in the next few weeks, won't we? Does Lukaku come back in the side? Does he not? But credit to Chelsea where it's due because they responded brilliantly to um, to going two goals down. That goal from Kovacic was wonderful. I really enjoyed Pulisic's finish as well. I thought that was really, really good too. Um, so yeah, Chelsea doing well to fight back. Probably could have won the game as well on the balance of play and we'll feel a little bit disappointed by that. But I think quietly somewhere, Thomas Tuchel will be sitting there delighted that the Romelu Lukaku thing didn't you know lead to the self-destruction that it looked like we might see in the first sort of 20 minutes or so um Sadio Mane very very fortunate not to get sent off in that fixture I thought and I've got a massive issue with Sadio Mane and these types of challenges because he does them time and time again um we've seen him do one against Kieran Tierney last season. We saw him jump up for a challenge with Tomiyasu in which he caught him with the elbow. And that was ultimately what led to that flare up between Arteta and Klopp. And we saw a similar challenge again. He's got a thing with leading with the arm in challenges. And this goes back to the whole VAR debate that we were having off the back of the Arsenal City game. Where is the consistency? Why has that not been acted upon? Why has that not been dealt with? And that this is what people are looking for. Right. We're not looking for consistency in terms of every decision um, being the same because they're never the same. Football is that type of sport. That's why it's a very difficult sport to officiate. A lot of opinion and subjectivity comes into it. But what you want is you want the protocol to be consistent, i.e. you want the referee to go over and look at it. You want the VAR to flag that and say, go over and take a look. And if the referee having looked decides, no, I don't think it was a sending off, at least, you know, they're doing it from a position whereby they've seen the incident and they understand exactly what occurred. You don't see everything in real time as a referee. And that was one of the reasons I was a big advocate of VAR. If you go there and, and you make a decision, having had all the available tools at your disposal to make the best possible decision, and I still don't agree with you, well, at least I can accept it. And at least I can move on from it. The, the problem is that some incidents are being looked at and others are not. And that's where people have a massive issue. But as uh, Steve says in the chat, what does Mane have to do to get sent off? Your guess, my friend, is as good as mine because he seems to get away with it time 
and time and time again. And it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, moving on from that fixture, Leeds got a really important win against Burnley. Um, you know, a, a victory that they were in desperate need of as well. Things have been uh, difficult for Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa of late injuries and COVID cases have caused them huge, huge problems. Uh, so they'll be delighted that they managed to get that victory against a team that will also be fighting for their survival in Burnley. Uh, suffer uh, Difficult loss to, to take from for Everton uh, at home to Brighton. And even when Brighton had raced into that lead, I was convinced that Everton were probably going to draw because Brighton are the draw specialists. But big questions being asked now over Rafa Benitez. I've seen today uh, that they're on the the verge of signing a defender from Rangers, Nathan Patterson, I think it is, um, you know, which shows that they know that they need to strengthen. It just feels like with Everton, though, season after season, there's just a lack of a cohesive plan. Um, there's a lack of a long-term plan, and that's what's holding them back, ultimately, I believe. They're just having to rip things up and start again every sort of couple of seasons, and what you end up with is just a mishmash of unwanted undesirable players uh, brought into the club by previous managers that never really worked out. So Everton have a big problem for me and I just wonder how much longer Rafa Benitez is going to survive. Big result for Brentford as well, getting a victory over Aston Villa, uh, one they really, really needed. I think uh, given the way that game panned out, I think Aston Villa will be quietly disappointed that they didn't take something from that game and, and especially uh, not even a point, but Brentford plugged away, took their chances when they come along and fair play to them. I like Brentford. I like Thomas Frank. So quite pleased to see them kind of moving in the right direction. We've already touched on Manchester United versus Wolves, which was the final game of um, of the Premier League weekend. So let's have a look now at the table, where that leaves us, where we stand. Um I'll just bring that up on the screen for you guys to take a look while you're doing that. Make sure you smash the like button and I'm going to bring you a quick message from our sponsors over at ProPrep, which is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering or maths related modules. It can half your study time. ProPrep provide bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, uh, which can be accessed from any device at any time. It's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed down into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions. You can even submit questions to the pro prep professors and receive video answers back within 24 hours. Now, they've created a special offer just for listeners of the Chronicles of Aguna. If you click the link in the description or head over to proprep.uk slash info slash football, you can find more information and sign up for a free 30 day trial without inputting any credit card information. So if you are studying or you know someone that's studying, it could be of huge use to you. Support ProPrep, you're supporting the Chronicles of Aguna, so do check them out. Right, let's have a look at the Premier League table after another round of fixtures. Manchester City, of course, uh, sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League with a 10-point cushion at the moment. You can see Chelsea in second, who drew with Liverpool at the weekend, have only won one of their last five, and that is simply not good enough uh, to challenge for the Premier League title, or certainly not good enough anyway to keep up the pace with a very formidable and ruthless Manchester City side. We found out how ruthless they can be at the weekend. Liverpool are in third, and of course, they've won just two of their last five in the Premier League, which again is nowhere near good enough to maintain the pace with Manchester City. The only team in good enough form to keep up with Manchester City 
in the, over the last five fixtures is the Arsenal who have won four of their last five. Um, but we sit uh, at present uh, seven points behind Liverpool, who are in third. Now, we've played the same amount of games as Liverpool, but we've played one less than Chelsea. So we're we're actually eight points behind Chelsea. But if we win that game in hand, that can become five points. So the question is, although, well, no, it's not a question. I guess the point is, although we're looking down at the moment and we're worried about teams keeping the pace and, and teams trying to overtake us, there's no reason why we can't look to try and close the gap on a Chelsea side that are struggling at the moment, on a Liverpool side who are going to lose key players during the AFCON, just like we are. So I think for me, it's really important that we, although we focus on making sure that we maintain that distance between ourselves and those in pursuit of us, that we don't lose sight of the fact that right now we're in the mix to close the gap on those ahead of us as well. The gap is not that big. And uh, so, yeah, let's um, let's look both ways and uh, let's hopefully continue to turn in the performances um, of, a, of a really high level. And if we perform like we did against Man City at Tottenham, there's no reason whatsoever why we can't come away with points. And uh, build ourselves uh, a little bit of a cushion over our North London rivals. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't hit the like button already, please do so because it really, really does help. I can see there's over 226 of you watching us live right now on YouTube. We've only got 62 likes on the board. There's no reason why we can't get it up to 100 likes. So please do that. It really, really does help. And uh, subscribe to the channel, of course, if you are new. Right, let's take a couple of questions from the live chat box before we wrap up this weekend's uh, review show. Don't forget, we'll be back later, 5 p.m. UK time, right here on this YouTube channel for our live transfer daily show. We'll also um, be putting that out on the, all the audio platforms, as always, uh, around about 6 p.m. So make sure you get involved in that as well. If you are listening by the audio, please do leave us a review. Let's take this question uh, from John Daly, who says, do you think we're more connected to this squad because they are English slash homegrown? Having a young, hungry squad is so refreshing. I hope that when we sign players, we keep signing younger players. I think, I think naturally when they're English homegrown, you give them a little bit more leeway and you have a little bit more patience with them than you do with somebody who's coming for a big fee from abroad who you feel isn't really aware of Arsenal, what it is, the stature that it holds within the English game, etc. So I think you naturally give players more leeway. But for me personally, I don't care if they're born in Islington or Timbuktu. It, for me, it doesn't matter. It's not about where they're from. It's whether I believe in them and I'm invested in them. And I think the the key point that you make there, John, is, is the hungry part. You can be young and hungry like Gabriel Martinelli and be from the other side of the world. You can be young and hungry like Martin Odegaard and be from another part of the world as well. So I think for me, that's the key bit. I think the English homegrown with some people does, does carry weight. I think if you are English and you're an England supporter, then, of course, you kind of have that additional connection because you're then going on to support those guys um, at international level. For me, yes, I'm British, um, you know, I, I, I raised in, in Britain and all that. I, I feel British, but I don't feel English specifically. I'm very in touch with my heritage and I feel I identify myself as a Cypriot above everything because that's how I feel. So, to me, it doesn't make a difference if they're English, Kenyan, Jamaican, French, 
Portuguese, Japanese. It's it's neither here nor there. For me, it's the young, hungry part that's key. But I understand why if you were English, you would give them a little bit more leeway and maybe feel a greater connection uh, off the back of that as well. Um, so I understand it. Everybody like wants their own to do well, right? I get that. Um, but for me personally, it doesn't make a, a massive um a massive issue. Uh, Chris Carrick says lots of TV pundits say Spurs will finish above us because of Conte. What are your thoughts? Are they just seeing a temporary new manager bounce? How important is the winter transfer window? That for me is key for Tottenham. I think there were there were two things that there's two things that, that Antonio Conte needs to do to get Tottenham back to a competitive level. It's not that big a deal as some people have made it out. I think for me, he needs to plug holes in the defence. Now, Antonio Conte chooses to do that by playing with a back three and then wing backs, as we've seen him do at previous clubs. And in a lot of ways, that can mask the deficiencies of, of a lot of your defenders, i.e. Eric Dyer looks a much better centre-back in a three as does Davinson Sanchez, than they do in the two, where they've got more responsibility and they're more exposed. So Antonio Conte always goes to kind of deal with that issue in that way first. If he can deal with it with a change of formation and with that structure, then he'll do that. You know, you saw players that at times looked really average for Chelsea, really thrive under his management. Marcus Alonso, uh, Victor Moses, you know, those were players that you were like, mm, they're OK, are they Chelsea level? Not sure, but Conte's system allowed them to flourish. And I think he's doing that at Spurs. The other big thing that Antonio Conte needs to do and he's starting to do is get the best out of Harry Kane. I hate him. Absolutely despise the guy. Um, got no time for him whatsoever. I think he's massively overrated, but um, he is as good as Tottenham have. And he is someone who, if firing on all cylinders, can make a significant difference to where they move. And a lot of their problems at the start of the season, in my opinion, well, not even so much that Nuno was bad. I, I know he wasn't great and I know he wasn't fit for purpose in the eyes of a lot of Tottenham fans who know way more than me. But the biggest issue was that they weren't getting what they needed out of Kane and Son. And if you get that, then it masks over a lot of the other problems. And I think Conte's recognised, like Mourinho did to an extent, that the rest of the team might not be great. But if you can get Kane and Son firing, then a lot of the time they'll get you out of the shit. And I think that's what Conte has done quite well. Um, obviously, he's tactically more, you know, studious than a lot of the other managers in the Premier League. So he does make a difference. But I still think they need to recruit if they're going to maintain this, this manager bounce, if you like, uh, throughout the course of January. So January will make my mind up on, on where Tottenham are. And of course, us facing them is, is a really significant game. As I say, a must not lose one. Uh, let's see. Let me take a couple more questions. Um, Bruce Banana says, uh, will you be doing a show with Fabrizio Romano this month to discuss Arsenal transfers? Not sure yet, mate. Um, I'll see what I can do. Uh, but not sure is the answer right now. Uh, Pat Moyle says, how significant do you think the AFCON will have an effect on the Premier League? The AFCON always has an effect because it means players leaving their clubs. I think there are some clubs who will feel it more than others. I think for us, obviously, Thomas Partey is the big one. And uh, it's a shame because he played his best game of the season, I would say, probably his best game ever in an Arsenal shirt at the weekend. And now we're going to lose him for a bit. So that's obviously difficult to take and it has an impact. But it's something that everybody has to deal with. It's something that you know is going to happen and come about when you sign African players. Um, I think for top, uh, for Liverpool, it could be massive. Um, you know, in the past, they've dealt with it quite well. But to lose Mane and Salah, uh, as well as I think Naby Keita as well is, is quite a big deal. So 
I think they're the ones that would be probably the most concerned by it. For us, yeah, we've got a few players going, but the one that really, I think, jumps out is is uh, Thomas Partey. And I'm hoping that with Granit Xhaka's return um, and with hopefully Sambi coming into the side and, and, you know, continuing where he left off, we can uh, we can cope with it in the interim. Fingers crossed. Uh, Bobby Lay says, if we finish six, would you be happy with that? And what would you do with Arteta if that is where we finished? I th- at the start of the season, I said I wanted us to finish in the top six. So I can't now say that I'd sack him if we finish six. But as I say, although objectives throughout a season shouldn't dramatically change, they can be altered. And if we were to go on a really poor run of form and give up our chances of finishing in the top four, then I would obviously be disappointed with that. I think we need to be within touching distance of the top four. If you finish sick two points outside of the top four and you missed out ultimately on the Champions League by a couple of points, I think you 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 should be quite pleased with that and quite content with that. I think the context of it is really, really important. But anything outside the top six, I think that questions need to be asked about this project. We don't have time to wait around, um, you know, and, um, you know, and, 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 and hope that this team comes good in four or five years' time. It's always been like, oh, in a few years we'll be here, in a few years we'll be there. It's got to be now um, for me. And it's kind of now or never, second full uh, full season for Mikel Arteta. And we want to see significant progress. Uh, Vishal says, totally unrelated, but I'm watching this on the first day of Shane. Symptoms of COVID. Take care, guys, and stay safe. Oh, and F Stuart Atwell. <laughs> Completely agree, mate. Um, completely agree uh with you on the atwell stuff and wishing you a speedy recovery of course uh, i know lots of you have have picked it up at the moment so um just want to say um lots of love hope you'll get better uh asap uh shaguna says big up harry love your show from singapore thank you so much mate uh really really appreciate that uh let's see uh big hello to bvb09 and remember Discord members, I have popped in a chat. We've, um, I've popped in the Discord chat that we're going to be doing a live show at 5 p.m. on Wednesday with three members. So DM me on the Discord if you're a member and you want to join. Um, it will be available for everybody to watch, but only members will be able to take part in it. And we'll be rotating through the group of members uh, throughout the weeks to get as many of you on to have your say as we possibly can. Uh, always great chatting to you. And it's kind of my way of, of saying thank you. Uh, for your support by getting you on and uh, looking forward to chatting to lots of you. Uh, We've had a couple of you confirmed. uh, So there's one space available for the Wednesday show. First come, first served. If you miss out, still DM me because I will put you down on the list and I'll come to you next week. So please do get involved. Right. uh, We are going to leave it there. And as I say, we'll be back later on for our transfer daily show. Um, Looking forward to talking about some reports coming out with regards to not just the future of Lucas Torreira, but what that could mean in Arsenal's pursuit of the Fiorentina striker Dusan Vlavic. So make sure you join me at 5pm. Set your alarms, turn your notifications on. You know the drill by now. Make sure you're here for that. And uh, that'll be available in audio format shortly after the show's conclusion as well. Hit the like button if you haven't done so already, because we are still 10 likes away from hitting the magic 100 mark. So like, 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 let's get there by the end of the outro. Big hello uh, to Tendai Soko as well, who joins us from Zambia. Much love to you and everybody uh, watching us from wherever it is in the world that you're tuned in from. I'll be back later on with more. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. All the best.
You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs> 